welcome everyone to another episode of the EQ Elevator podcast, where I use emotional intelligence, practical strategies to shine or shed some light. I don't know what is the correct term on the challenges leadership face specifically in STEM. And from time to time, I have guests. So it's not only Nadia solo podcast, but I have inspiring guests. And today I have Michelle, who has her own consultancy business and also works in the cybersecurity area. She's going to introduce herself in a bit. But just to show you the power of LinkedIn, the power of networking, and the power of the human touch in the digital age. I got connected with Michelle because I recorded a podcast with Sarah Armstrong-Smith, another inspiring cyber lady. And you followed my podcast and I love the work that you do. I love the background because you were first in the educational sector and now you are passionate about diversity and inclusion in cyber and more. So I recorded a personal video to ask Michelle if she wanted to be a guest on my podcast and talk about women in cybersecurity. And she said yes. So we've been planning this behind the scenes for a few uh, months now. And I'm excited that today is finally the day that we're recording it. With that uh, introduction, Michelle, thank you for accepting. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and the work that you do and also what made you pivot towards cybersecurity? Uh, thank you so much. And, and thank you for having me as well. Fantastic company. So I've listened to all your podcasts and uh, your podcast with Sarah and just uh, lately with Wendy Battles as well. And yeah, great companies. I am honoured to have been asked to join you today. So thank you very much. I have lots of notes. I have lots of things <laughs> written down that I'd like to say. So look, in terms of my personal journey at the minute, I, from now on, I am managing partner for cybersecurity at Edmondson Group. So I'm co-founder of that business as well. We're an executive search firm. And I work primarily with CISOs in terms of coaching at the candidate side and placing people in the roles that they are um, looking for and where they're a cultural fit. That's really important to me. And obviously, I also work with organizations as well to find their CISOs. I also have a, a bit of a passion for defensive cybersecurity. So I've built security teams as well. And I also place people that are in that kind of architecture realm as well. So security architects, cloud tech architects and so on. So there's a lot going on with the business at the moment. We came back from Australia last year. So we still have a desk in Melbourne. We've continued to grow our London office and we are embarking on growing an office in Austin, Texas as well. So things are, I'm very lucky things are really taking off. And yeah, I look, I love what I do. I love what I do. And then, like you said as well, this area of, of DEIB as well, and especially that B, that belonging in the workplace is a real passion of mine. And so if you go ahead to my LinkedIn profile, that's the kind of thing that I talk and write about. It's about women in cybersecurity, but it's about allyship as well. It's about women and men and underrepresented groups coming together for the benefit of this industry because it's definitely needed. And in terms of how I got here, it, it, it's a, a convoluted journey. I started off back in the early 90s in recruitment and sales. And then I also did some adult education teaching and really liked it. So I retrained and became a teacher. I was a teacher for, gosh, nearly 20 years on and off with having my daughter and moving to Australia and so on. So I guess 
that benefits me in that I can see where students are coming from and the students that are going into university and then what's happening when they leave university. I can also, I've also seen girls approach to STEM subjects and how schools are tackling that. I guess as well, I also get a little frustrated with when I see posts or things on social media that say schools should, teachers need to, why aren't we teaching AI or coding or, well, but that's because schools are doing what they can. (laughs) So I guess what I can see from my experience is that it takes a village. And I know that's a cliche. But it's going to take a village to get diverse and underrepresented groups into cybersecurity. It's not just down to schools and it's not down to universities. It's going to take a lot of us to work on that because it is happening, but it's happening slowly. I was just going to say that's I guess that's where the kind of education aspect really helps with what I'm doing now. Yes. And then I guess 20 years of education, I knew that there was something else that I wanted to do. So I decided to return to recruitment, but not just return to it to set up my own company, which I did under the name of Edmonton Scott. And to begin with, I was doing higher education. And within that, <laughs> I built a, we did some digital transformation work with a university in the UK. And one of those posts was director of cybersecurity. And I just caught the book from there, really. And yeah, I've just gone on from there. So now that is my primary focus. So then Edmondson Scott amalgamated to make Edmondson Group. My husband is CEO, <laughs> which actually works really well. So yeah, so here we are. That That's my story in a really huge nutshell. I, I love it. And I want to pick up on, on two points because I love to, I, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's yet so important. And this is why I founded or I started this podcast is often we see problems and challenges from our personal perspective. And then we tend to burn bridges because if there's so much pressure on everyone, on an industry, some functions, it's too much to handle when we also have to consider other challenges and other perspectives. But if we don't from a place of building bridges, then we're not going to advance. We're going to keep doing the same thing as we used to in addressing these challenges. So I love that we're going to look at it from different also perspectives, which I always advise people and I do also myself to look at it from a 360 perspective to have more information. When you understand people where they come from, they're less defensive and less resistance to change. It's small steps. And so I just, I wanted to throw that out there that I love the work that you do and also your approach in, it it does take a village and blame and shame is not going to solve the the issue because there are uh, latest statistics that I read through 3.2 million uh, vacancies in cybersecurity disrupting. How are we going to fit all that to meet the requirements of building safe and secure societies, businesses, and economies? With that said, I would love to go a bit deeper in one of the challenges when we, and and I think here you have probably a lot of valuable insights to share, when we change career path like you did, or when we go into an environment field like cybersecurity, our self-identity is so important, how we perceive ourselves. I'd love to hear a bit more about your own experience, but also about but perhaps in general, cybersecurity professionals, uh, female cybersecurity professionals, and the role of self-identity, how we view ourselves in managing cybersecurity challenges, taking up a leadership form, which often is the role of a CISO is still ambiguous, depending where you are in the part of the world in which company or culture. 
so I'd love to hear more about how your insights and how you manage that and what you would give the audience as a takeaway on why self-identity and having a progressive self-identity so important to move forward with the digitalization challenges. Absolutely. Gosh, that's a huge question. I think there are there are three things that I'm really interested in. And so it's getting women into or underrepresented groups. Look, I'm going to talk primarily about women because that's yeah. what I can talk about as a cisgender, white, heterosexual woman. That's what I can talk about. So it's getting women into cybersecurity and it's keeping them in cybersecurity and it's promoting them in cybersecurity. So those are the, the three really obviously key areas. Getting into cybersecurity, I think, is really interesting because immediately what I find is that, or when I started really looking into this industry, is that it's immediately masculine. And there's no finger pointing there. It's just wherever you look, it's immediately masculine. I'm a, I was a, a literature and linguist teacher for however many years. And so that's what I look at. I look at language. So if you look at the roles, it's engineer and architect, and it's about defense and so on. And it's stereotypically, these are all very masculine tropes. So immediately you're faced with that language that could be seen as a barrier. And then it's little things like if you go onto social media or to search engines and you type in cybersecurity into Google Images, it's everything's blue. So in terms of color coding as well, stereotypically very masculine. If you type in hacking, you'll see male figures wearing hoodies in a darkened room. But again, it's all blue or red. It's getting better in terms of now you'll see women in an office with a clipboard. <laughs> but you, that that will be maybe three out of the first 20 images that you see. So look, immediately, I think women are faced with this kind of masculine imagery and language. I think you have to block out the noise because women belong in cybersecurity, regardless of the images that you see and the language that you hear. The language isn't going to change. So we're just going to have to get over that. We are, they are engineers and architects and whatever it might be analysts and so on. So we just need to get over that step. That does not mean that women don't belong there. And the rest of the stuff we just have to block out. I think as well, it's about limiting self-beliefs that, that women sometimes have. And if I'm looking at it from a recruitment point of view, what we tend to see is that women more than men seem to think they need to tick every box on a job description, which you absolutely do not. I wrote a post about this actually not long ago, it was called Five Things Women Over 40 Should Stop Wearing, which was a bit naughty. <laughs> but it got that 20,000 views. And one of the things was that you should stop believing that you have to tick every box because you don't. A job description, think of it as a wish list. There are, of course, some technical skills in cybersecurity that you're going to have. There's no getting over that. But in terms of human skills and, and so on, there is such a lot that women can offer. Yes. And just to have a go. Just, I think the key thing is, and I guess that the message throughout this entire podcast is to take the first step. You have to take that first step. And sometimes it's a huge step and it's nerve wracking. Like me doing this podcast today with you, like I've got my own podcast and asking people questions, absolutely fine. Talking to you today, I'm so nervous. I've got three pages of notes written down here. <laughs> but it's just taking that, that first initial step. Um, and also, sorry, just to, to, to pitch in, but I, I thank you for sharing that because I think we, we weaken anxiety, but I think anxiety is also human and it's also a superpower and it has less power over you when you acknowledge it. I think we've sometimes we fall in the trap of showing 
only one side of humanity, strong, uh, egocentric perhaps, and success, etc. But anxiety is part of, of being human. And I think it is. it doesn't make you weak. But when you are aware of it and you do it anyway, that is what strength is. That is what leadership. So thank you for sharing. And even though there's no need to be nervous, I love your work. I love your insights. And I'm really enjoying this conversation. But I think this is such an important message to uh, take what you perceive as weaknesses, acknowledge it, and, and just do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And it also anxiety means that you care about something. Exactly. So you felt blase about something you don't care so don't do it um and i think it's also having the confidence to know if something's not right for you so if you go to an interview and you just get that feeling this isn't the right company for me i've taken a, a role before that i knew in the interview wasn't good i knew i didn't fit but i took the job and i deeply regretted it so i think it's having that confidence as well the one thing i would say is that when people say women need to have more confidence as again going back to being a teacher I've learned a lot about that because I used to say this at parents' evenings. I used to say, oh, let's say, I don't know, Sarah needs to have more confidence. And then once, I w- this when I was like a, an early years teacher, the girl actually turned around to me and said, how do I do that? And I just went, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. So I think giving out kind of broad advice like be more confident isn't overly helpful. I think there are stepping stones that need to be taken before then. And I, I like positive self-talk is a huge thing. Like I'm a great believer in talking to yourself like you talk to your best friend. Sometimes the way that women talk to themselves, there's no way we would speak to anybody like that. I think that goes a long way as well. Um, Yeah, so I think getting into it in the first place is just blocking out that noise, have a real focus about what it is that you want to do. Cybersecurity is a huge industry. So what is it that you want to do? How do you get in there? And then seek your mentors, ask questions. The one thing I found about this industry as well is that in terms of women in cybersecurity, the network is brilliant. If you go onto LinkedIn, the support that's out there um, is fantastic. I've met some brilliant women who've given their time up to talk to me uh, about what I can do to help women in cybersecurity more. So it's just putting yourself out there. And like I say, it all goes back to taking that initial first step. Mm. Yeah. And just to thank you for sharing that and to come back about the, the confidence, I think uh, one of the things that we don't talk enough about is that confidence is a muscle. And when we, we function based on past data, past experiences. So when something is unfamiliar to us, it feels threatening. It feels discomfort. And then we correlate that with the lack of confidence because we don't have a emotional resilience or a, a, a way of how, did it, how does that feel like. And I think when you... Take back, bring it back to basic human functioning. Everything that is unfamiliar feels threatening. And then we correlated, oh, I can't do this, which is no, it is normal that I feel uncomfortable. It takes practice. The more you practice something, the better you get at it. And I think that is one way of looking at how to build confidence is to first, I love what you said, trust your gut feeling as well, because I've also been in situations I knew I should not have gone there, but... I went in anyway, and then I learned the hard way, which is also wisdom. (laughs) But I think it is combining, like, it's normal, which brings me to the the third floor. Third floor is looking at something without bias, without any judgment about ourselves or about the other person, which I think is such a valuable uh, side because it takes away the the confidence issues, the, the, the insecurities or the worries. 
So what would you advise or share with women who are looking to pivot in cybersecurity who are already in a technical role and they want to go in more into a leadership role? What are the things when we look at it from a very unbiased, very neutral perspective? So we take out the gender element, we take out the, the masculinity element and how cyber is perceived. What are the things you would uh, tell women to focus on in terms of leadership skills, in terms of competency skill set, or in terms of what you have experienced with your own recruiting uh, journey uh, into these roles? Look, I think the first thing is not to be afraid to ask questions. That would be my first piece of advice. And like I say, not to think that you have all the answers or all the skills or at your fingertips. It doesn't always work that way. Yeah, without a doubt, ask advice and find your mentors would be my my first major piece of advice. I think as well in this industry, you, you do need some direction. Like I said, it's there are so many different roles. So maybe if you're pivoting into cybersecurity, then that needs some investigation as well. So what is it? Do you want to go down the coding route? Are you going to have to do other qualifications? Can you afford to do those qualifications? Are you going to have to take a, a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or whatever it might be, depending on what your background is? Um, so some research there, I think is needed and, and then find the thing that you're passionate about and that you're, you think you're going to enjoy. Not to say that you can't change your mind at some point down the, down the way, but I think I do speak to, we do a graduate coaching program and I do tend, I do speak to a lot of graduates who want to go into cybersecurity, but when you say, what does that mean? What do you want to do? Are you a pen tester? Are you an analyst? Are you a, what, what is it? What is it that you want to do? Are we hacking? Are we you know what is it that they're not overly sure what that means they have a rough idea but I think that having a, a really clear direction if you are going to come into this industry is and if you're not sure then ask ask people like me that's absolutely fine find a, a consultant or a search firm or an agency that specializes in your particular field and ask questions just make sure that you're asking the right people that have the expertise don't be afraid to connect with people in an industry that you're interested in as well so you can even narrow that down. And that's a really good idea. And again, that's advice that we give in our graduate sessions is think about industry. Think about the people that you want to connect with. Who's going to be helpful? Because finding a job is a job in itself. Yes. It takes time and patience and resilience. And don't be put off. You've got to keep going. And you may not get your first even five or six roles. You've, you've got to keep going. And I think not to be... Although we've talked about that there is a skill shortage and there are lots of unfilled jobs, but don't get blindsided by that. And don't think I'm just going to walk into my first role because that might not necessarily be the case. So patience and resilience, I think, is which I think women have in buckets, honestly. <laughs> and yeah, I love that. That would be my advice as well. Yeah, and I love that. And a very short anecdote to show to showcase that when I was so when I was in NATO, I also picked up my studies again and I was working and I went to Cambridge. Now I'm not saying this to drop names, but just to show the the message that you just gave. And I did my master in international relations in Cambridge. And I assumed that after my master's I would be handpicked because I went to Cambridge. It took me I did get a dream job while I was at NATO, so my, the senior executive NATO, but it took me two years, took me over 100 internal applications, took me nine rejections, two of them which were in my own team, right? And, I, and here is where you really need to be bold, and the hardest thing was to believe in yourself and even when no one else does, because by the ninth interview, when I went for the job, I actually got 
I even had men and women telling me, just focus on your family, give it up, which we can talk about the gender issue about that. But I told myself, I am tired, but this is the last thing I'm going to try. This is this job is, I felt it in every cell of my body. I used my nine uh, missed uh, interviews as feedback and grow. And I just went after it. And I got it, even though I, I, I didn't get it immediately. I had to convince the big boss as well. So that's another story. But I, I think it is, you, you, it's normal to doubt yourself, but also teaching women and young girls and young men, be bold, ask for what you want. Often we, especially in my culture, this is, it is a cultural issue. I grew up playing small. My mother played small and we were immigrants as well. I was still bold, but it didn't sit right with me until I trained myself to, yes, you deserve to be in cybersecurity forever. You deserve to be successful. If you, you get in life what you expect, maybe not the way you want it exactly, but you get in life what you expect. So I think indeed boldness and persistence and resilience and believe in yourself. Don't let other people's opinions dissuade you. Take it as feedback. How can I get better? What do I need to learn? And go after what you want. Yeah, absolutely. The feedback thing that you just said, and I know you spoke to Wendy about this as well, is really important. I think it's important to get feedback from people who you value because otherwise, yeah, I, I'm just a big fan of that. So when people used to come and observe my lessons when I was teaching, but I knew how their lessons used to go because <laughs> you could hear the kids down the corridor. I'd be like, I'm taking advice from you. But I just think it's really important to get feedback from people who you value. Yeah. And he'll the experience. And it's not feedback, it's feed forward. Yes, so, yeah, I love that. Love yeah, that. It, it, what can I do to improve? Is it my confidence levels? Is it that I'm not directly answering questions? What, or is it that I do need more experience? Do I need to do, I don't know, an inter if it's a graduate, an internship or IT help desk? Or what is it that I need to do to get my foot in the door? Because once you're in the door, it's all good. But I think, yeah, feed forward. I think that's what I would call it as opposed to feedback and from people who are valuable. I love that. I know it's going to be my, yeah, you gave me a half moment, feed forward. <laughs> <laughs> Whether it's criticism or even when it's people who perhaps have misintention, there's always some wisdom in it. And you always need to reflect on how can I internalize this or should I internalize it or how can I take it to move forward? When we look at the fourth uh, floor, so the organizational perspectives, and I think here you have so much insights because often when we go after career or looking for jobs, we look, we are looking at it from what do I want in terms of job security, job fulfillment, talent, which is important. But a very powerful, it's a partnership way to look at it is also to research the company and understand whether first you fit the company and how the, how you can position yourself within the company. So what advice would you give to, to women, because this is the theme of the podcast, or any underrepresented groups who are looking to pivot towards cybersecurity? What advice would you give them based on your own experience in positioning themselves within the specific company? I think that what you just said is really important. I, I think you need to do some deep research. So when I'm working with a, a CEO or looking to place somebody in an organization, I ask two questions. So I will ask about the makeup of the cybersecurity team, but I will also ask about retention rates. I think sometimes you have to get past the glossy exterior. When I say deep research, what I mean is look beyond the website. 
I do think that there are some companies that give lip service to diversity and they use all the buzzwords, but then when you get in there, you don't see it or you've dropped in the bullpen, if, if you like, and, and you're just left to it. So deep research is my first piece of advice. Simple things like Google the company and see if they've come up in the news or do they offer any diversity programs or what's their approach to upskilling or coaching, training. Of course, look at the makeup of their teams because you can find that information. And if you're working with um, a recruiter or a, a search firm, then obviously you can ask them to look into that for you as well. So that, that would be the, the first thing that I would do. And then the second piece of advice from a recruiter's perspective is not to be afraid to ask those questions in interview as well. So I did a podcast with um, Jeremy Ventura from Threatex yesterday, and we had this, I verified it with him as well. And I think at the end of the interview, when it's, do you have any questions for us? If you are from an underrepresented group, I think it's okay. I know it's okay to say, yeah, can you tell me about your, your DEIB programs? What do you do for people from underrepresented groups? What kind of upskilling can you offer me? What kind of professional development? Obviously, you word that question however best suits the situation that you're in the organisation. But I think it's absolutely okay to ask that question. What can you do for me? What can this organisation do for my career? Because the key thing there is the B in DEIB. Because diversity is the result. Inclusion is an action, but belonging is a feeling. Yes. And if you, if you don't have that, you're going to lose people. People are going to leave you and they're going to go somewhere else where they do take that seriously. So I think if you are a woman... Uh, or any other, like you say, any other minority or underrepresented group in this industry, it's absolutely okay to ask that question, what can you do for me? And if they can't answer or they won't answer, that's not the organisation for you. Okay. Yeah, that, so that would be the two things that I would say. Research and don't be afraid to ask questions because ultimately you spend so much time at work. This is your career. And if you've made that conscious decision to move into this industry, which is a brilliant industry to be in, it's so promising, it's growing exponentially. You, you need to make sure for your own welfare and your well-being that you get it right. Yeah, I love and it, I love everything you said, Michelle, and it comes back to how you view yourself. You may lack some confidence because it's from a skill set perspective because you haven't performed the skills, which is normal. This is where growth mindset comes. But you have to f feel worthy enough that this is a partnership we're no longer working in an era where it's just, I will do everything for my employer. No, it's a partnership because both benefit. It's a win. If the employer hires someone whose values don't match or then doesn't match the personal also qualities of that required position or the culture, then it's going to be a nightmare for both parties. It's like the wrong fit. Often we hire for expertise, but we don't hire for fit. And sometimes it's so important to hire for fit and not to be afraid to ask questions that I deserve to be here. They want me as much as I want them. With that mindset, the difference between arrogance and confidence is humility, right? And I think that is important to remember that you also deserve to be there. You have something to bring to the table. It's not only them. And it doesn't mean you're arrogant. It means that you really want to make sure that you can bring your best self to, to them. I agree. And I think, look, like you say, it's absolutely in the organization's best interest, because if you uh, don't make the right choice and you employ someone that isn't a cultural fit for whatever reason, then you're going to spend money again, advertising, recruiting, maybe paying somebody like me to go out there and find somebody for you. So it's in everybody's best interest that this is right. And I think especially like I was talking to uh, my business partner about this. 
post-pandemic or yeah, during and post-pandemic, there's been a lot of organizational shifts in businesses. So things like flexible working, remote hybrid, attention to well-being and so on, which is great. We have to make sure that organizations are maintaining that focus on cultural change as well. So it's not just digital transformation or organizational change. It's to do with culture as well. Because at the end of the day, diversity is, like I say, going to benefit everybody from a practical sense and then just to the fact that diverse teams are interesting teams aren't they? exactly exactly we're nearing the the end of this podcast and the, the end is the the fifth floor and and i want to celebrate you michelle because normally when i do the eq elevator approach i always skip floors or i don't go through and with you i really went through each floor so I'm very grateful and and uh, proud of that as well so the fifth floor looks at the macro environment. And you mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, there's so much out there that can support women with pivoting into cybersecurity or whether you are in cybersecurity and you're looking for a more leadership position. So what are some of the things from based on your own experience and the work that you do that you would give to women and businesses as well? And perhaps first, from a woman's perspective, what can they do in tap into that support network? And But also from a business perspective, what can businesses do more to elevate that macro uh, support to women, to uh, minority groups, or to uh, cyber talent that perhaps is not seen as cyber talent uh, we judge a book by its cover at the first sight? I'll start with organizations, first of all. So I think the first thing you can do is make sure that you are writing brilliant job specifications or job descriptions. If I find that, (laughs) if a company doesn't use a search agency like Edmondson Group, very often they will write a job description that is very listy. It's all about them as a company and how great they are. Sometimes, not all the time, we just want to make that really clear. And then obviously it's about this is what the job does. Salary is not mentioned, which I, I think is a bit of a mistake. But it's not, it doesn't tend to mention we're great to work for because we do all of these things for our employees, regardless of men, women, underrepresented groups, whatever. There needs to be a celebration of what that organization does to retain its people rather than just here's a job description because we're looking to recruit someone what do you do to retain them what do you do to promote them what's in it for them and I I think the way the market is at the moment in security and technology recruitment there has to be more of that it's more of celebrating what the organization can do for the candidate as opposed to we're a great company Obviously, the the advice that I would give to organizations is to use a search firm. If you're looking to build a diverse team and you want to retain that team and you want the team to be collaborative and work together brilliantly and so on, then <laughs> use a search firm. But if you're not going to do that, then make sure that you're taking steps to promote just how brilliant you are to work for. Uh, and then stick to that, obviously. No, no lip service. We don't want any more lip service in diversity. I think I speak to a lot of um, experienced women in cybersecurity and they're all getting a bit sick of that now. So especially women that have been in the the um, industry for 15 plus years, it's getting a bit tiresome now, that diversity lip service. So if you're going to promise something, then you absolutely have to follow through with that. Um, and it doesn't mean huge company and organizational shift, but it could be micro adjustments that you have to make 
um, a weekly meeting where everybody can just come along and say hi and share how it's going and be really positive or have a nice lunch, just something, just little micro things. It doesn't have to be huge organisational changes. And then for women going into this industry, and if, if I was giving advice to them, I think, I know I've talked about this previously, but LinkedIn, I think, is, is just a fantastic place to start because the networks on there and the people you will connect with are fantastic. Make sure that you're connecting with the right people who are going to add value. It's not Facebook. It's not Instagram. You need to connect on there with people who are going to add value to you, are going to teach you who you can learn from, who post things, you know, blogs and articles and so on that you can read. So that would be my first piece of advice. Don't be afraid to send out connection requests. Like my mother always says, you don't get if you don't ask. If they say no, thank you, that's fine. Then connect with somebody else. Follow those big organizational leaders. They're not going to connect with you, but follow them and read what they've got. Even, even just sorry to cut you off again. I'm so just so excited because even when I'm sending out uh, like personal video messages as well, and uh, some of them ignore me, but this is a feedback. They're not ignoring me. They're just not interested in connecting because you don't, often we give too much meaning or value to someone's behavior, but they don't even know me and I don't even know them. So it's just part of the game, part of networking. But I actually was surprised to see how little we actually make videos and how much people appreciate it. So I would even go as far as to say, make it personalized, uh, be yourself, be human, and they love it. And I've connected with big, I don't like to put people on pedestals, but people who are really high up in industries simply by being me and sending video. I've also been ignored, but it's fine. It's, and I really had to get into this mindset. It's important to get no. When you read the book of Chris Foss, by FBI, former FBI expert, people don't like to say yes. So when you phrase questions and they have to say yes, it's feel like they're giving away their control. So when you hear no, it's a good thing because no doesn't mean no. It means I don't have time right now, or I'm too busy, or come back to me later, or I don't understand what you're offering. I don't understand what you want from me. And I think if we value ourselves enough and really want to add value, then we just continue, move forward, take back the feedback, someone didn't get back to you, move on, move forward. Or, And I think that is a skill you, you develop. I, I absolutely love that. I would add... Don't be afraid. Be you. Uh, it's only one you in this planet. And be bold and be personal and be human. We need more humanity. <laughs> I'm a recruiter. I get ignored all the time because sometimes I'm seen as a bit of a pest. But the thing is, and this is what I teach my daughter as well, is that you can't do anything about people's behavior. You can only do something about your reaction to it. Exactly. So I guess in my early years of recruitment, I'd sit there going, oh, they don't want to talk to me and they keep ignoring me and they won't pick up the phone. And why? Because A, they're busy or B, they don't have time for you at the minute or they don't need anybody or they just think that you're going to sell them something, which is fair enough. So in that case, what you do is that you follow that person and you interact with them on LinkedIn. So if they post something interesting, you don't just say you don't like it. You can like it, but you don't go great article. You go, I love this because and you engage with that post. And I, I do think that's a trick. That's another podcast, isn't it? But I do think that's a trick that people are missing is engagement with LinkedIn posts rather than just clicking like on everything. Like I say, it's not Facebook. If you want to get in with people, you've got to show that you're engaging with them. And so I guess that's another piece of advice that I'll give as well. And, and find your, how you find your mentors by engaging with them. 
yeah, yes. I'm very passionate about this. So I could talk no, about but this. You, you hit the nail on the head, Michelle, because often when we engage on LinkedIn, we're like, oh, what will people say? What we will think? And what if I don't say the wrong thing? I say a lot on LinkedIn. Sometimes it falls on the wrong. <laughs> so, but I, I think it's the humility part, right? Sometimes I'm, I see things from a different perspective and I'm wrong and I'm not afraid to admit it because I'm a human being. I don't know everything. When I have this unsatiable curiosity, but I love, I think you, be, you learn to love it. And first, when I started engaging, I really was very scared and I didn't like it. And what would people say? And it's just a skill. It's muscle you develop. And I totally agree with you. If you don't take the time to engage with people, right, on LinkedIn and make it personal, why would they take the time to engage with you? Sometimes I also get LinkedIn requests or messages and it's immediately I have SEO or I was going to say it's not Facebook, it's not Instagram, it's also not Tinder. <laughs> I get loads of messages. I, I, I don't post about it because I'm like, why would I waste my energy to show off that and just ignore it or I block it? I get the royal family of Dubai or, or United Arab Emirates with zero followers also ask, and I feel very flattered. <laughs> but it's like, it's scam. And so I think common sense as well. So yeah. use your energy to build the new. Don't be frustrated. I just, I just ignore or delete or block. Why would I waste my energy? And then engage. And really, when you're passionate, people love that. People love to show that, that someone cares about what they're offering and to engage. And this is how you make some of the opportunities I got was because of engagement and because of the added value that you have to offer. So don't worry about, don't be defined by people's opinion. You can care about people's opinion, but don't let it define you. So The only person's opinion that matters is yours, your own. Because you're the only person that's going to have to live with those opinions and those judgments and those decisions for the rest of your life. Nobody else has to. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. We can do another podcast, Michelle. This was wonderful. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. There are so many light bulb moments and, and nuggets that I'm sure people can chew on. Thank you so much for being part and for sharing your wisdom. Uh, I agree with you. I think one of the ways to bridge the skills gap in cybersecurity is to work with reputable and, and recruitment executive search agency who care, who really care, who are not there just to check the box. So how can people find you? Uh, how can they connect with you? And uh, what else, what are the final uh, takeaways you want to give to our audience before we leave? So to find me, the best place would be LinkedIn. So I'm Michelle Edmondson. So by all means, send a connection request. Let me know what I can do for you. If you need advice, then obviously that's what I'm here for. If you are an organization looking to build like I say, a truly diverse and retain a truly diverse cybersecurity team, then absolutely get in touch. So you can either do that through LinkedIn or you can do that through inquiries at edmontonscott.com. In terms of last pieces of, oh, I have a podcast as well, Talent First. So please head over and, and listen to uh, my podcast where I talk about leadership and cybersecurity and uh, diversity and allyship and, and all of those super important things. I have a couple of things written down that I wanted to finish with. So look, um, there are, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of cliches, but I read something a while ago that said there are only two people that you need to answer to, and that's your eight-year-old self and your 80-year-old self. And I just love that. And then I mentioned before on the post that I did, five things women over 40 should stop wearing, was the idea that you're too old for new adventures. And so there's that old phrase, you can't uh, teach an old dog new tricks. Well, you're not a dog, you're a fox and you've got this. 
So just have a go. Just have a go. Find your mentors, find your people, get your foot in the door. If you think you're a diversity hire, so what? Get your foot in the door and just crack on because it's a fantastic industry once you're in there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I love it. I knew the first one, the eight, I do this as well. But yeah. I know the second one, you know the dog, you're a fox. Fox is one of my favorite animals as well. So thank you for sharing that uh, concluding work. I will share your links in the description box as well in the media, uh, social media. Thank you, uh, Michelle, for joining me. Thank you for everyone who listened. And yeah, this was a fascinating, very insightful, important conversation. Thank you, everyone. And uh, see you next or not see you next time. Hear you next time. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for tuning into the EQ Emotional Intelligence Elevator podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and gained valuable insights into the world of emotional intelligence. To learn more about Thrive with EQ and Nadia's mission to build stronger, more resilient workplaces through higher levels of emotional intelligence, visit our website at thrivewitheq.com. You'll find a plethora of EQ leadership resources, tools, and services to help you and your organization thrive. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends and colleagues. As always, keep thriving with EQ.